0: Hello everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million Podcast. Today we are going to be speaking about thought leaders in corporate innovation with Stephen Aldrich from GoDaddy. Stephen runs all of GoDaddy's product operation. Stephen, welcome. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks, I'm Looking forward to talking about innovation and entrepreneurship and how do we keep growing the global number of entrepreneurs.
0: All right. And uh, let's uh, also introduce you a little bit and GoDaddy a little bit to the audience so that we can set context that frames our conversation today.
1: Yeah. So I have been very fortunate to work with entrepreneurs and uh, many of them wouldn't call themselves entrepreneurs, but small business people or maybe a barber or a lawyer or an accountant or a drummer for a uh, bulk of my career. So I spent some time at Intuit in their QuickBooks team and spent some time as an entrepreneur and business founder myself. And now I've been at GoDaddy for uh, over half a decade. And what we're trying to do at GoDaddy is very aligned to what you're doing in the 1 million by 1 million team, which is helping people who have ideas, uh, take those ideas and turn them into reality. So GoDaddy Mm -hmm. has over 17 million customers around the world, most of whom are people that own their own venture, and those could be a small business owner, it could be a local community organization, it could be a nonprofit, it's someone who had an idea and wanted Mm -hmm. to ensure that idea got out into the world. So we'll help them get a domain name, get a website, get communications tools like email, get security, and help them start, run, and grow their venture.
0: And you have been in this small business uh, world for a long time, right?
1: I have been so uh, going back, actually to when I was a kid. My dad is a professor who studies entrepreneurship for a living. So oh. I didn't realize this until I was an adult. But when we would go on sabbatical uh, with my folks, my dad was going to do research into small businesses and and small businesses' interaction with their local communities in Europe. So we spent time in in uh, the UK and spent time in Germany. And then as I've gotten older and had have a chance to really understand the research that he does. It's been a delightful intersection of uh, yeah. what he does as a professor and what I do in my day job running product teams. And I've spent, uh, you might say, my whole life uh, being groomed to think about small business owners. And I've spent now uh, between Intuit and now GoDaddy uh, well over 15 years working with small business owners and, and helping them succeed.
0: Very cool. So let's, um, let's focus on your current uh, activities as the head of products of GoDaddy. Why don't we frame the discussion with a little bit of information about GoDaddy's product strategy and then how do you think of corporate innovation in that context of GoDaddy's product strategy? What are the goals? What is the strategy? What is the philosophy? What is the structure? So we'll, we'll you know, explore all those points.
1: Perfect. Perfect. I think it's a great place to start. So GoDaddy's uh, strength historically, and GoDaddy's been around for now 20 years, has been in helping democratize domain names. So at its core, 20 years ago, the company was founded to make it easy for individuals to get a domain and use that domain to get their idea onto the web. And That's still roughly half of our revenues and almost every one of our customers owns at least one domain from GoDaddy. And we've Mm -hmm. got over 70 million domain names under management, uh, largest domain uh, registrar in the world. The breadth, though, over the last 20 years has expanded from get a name, get this domain, your piece of digital real estate – and let us help you use that name towards the ultimate job you were trying to complete in the Clayton Christensen concept of jobs. Mm -hmm. So we we know that people get a domain and connect it to uh, online presence, a website that might build themselves or have a designer or developer build on their behalf. And we therefore have products that our do-it-yourself website builders, product yep. as folks would know about is GoCentral, and we have hosting products, and we're the largest WordPress hosting company in the world, so we've got a hosting platform for mm-hmm. uh, web professionals as well as small businesses, so that's quite a large business for us as well, mm-hmm. and then we saw, not surprisingly, that folks wanted to communicate with prospects and customers and employees and vendors using their brand as well, so we connect the domain up to domain-based email, and that all of this uh, gets wrapped in security and gets wrapped in marketing services and supported by customer care. So we've got three major lines of business. You might aggregate these into naming uh, with domains as a core anchor product, uh, online presence, which includes do-it-yourself website building and and hosting yeah, with WordPress as a core component, and then communications services and productivity all wrapped into one to help that business uh, manage and and grow their their uh, their firm. So those lines of business are in various stages of of evolution. And so when I think about our our goals, we have to both continuously bring in new customers. So mm-hmm. what are those feeder products or anchor products, where customers? Come to GoDaddy and purposefully buy that first uh, service, and then how do we help that business owner connect that service? In again, many cases it's a domain to a product that they want to use in order to get their brand out in front of more folks. So the the that's the macro level strategy and the goals from here, or how do we continue to grow the number of people who come to GoDaddy to get these services, and Mm -hmm. how do we help them achieve value from our products, which, from my perspective, So your your
0: narrative, it sounds like the narrative around which you're building the product portfolio is more getting online and getting the word out about the fact that you're online,
1: That's That, from the small business owners and the the folks who are getting ready to start their business, that is the number one Mm -hmm. outcome that they want, is I don't have enough customers or revenue. I need to get found on the web, on social media. Uh, Can you bring me a toolkit and the help to make that successful? And then from there... As they start to bring those customers in, I need to communicate with them and build my brand, and then my business grows, and now I need to communicate and collaborate. Again, grow is a relative term. In this case, most of these business owners uh, rarely get above five employees. Those that do, a smaller number get to 10, the smaller number get to 20, and very few people really get above 20 employees uh, in most of these. firms.
0: actually a very interesting segue into a question that you just made me think about. It's like you said, you have 17 million customers across all this. What percentage of that is solo entrepreneurs? Just starting out or continuing on as a solo.
1: Yeah, it mirrors the the population of business owners in general, so I'll I'll pick the US as a, a representative market. So in the United States, roughly speaking, there are 30 million uh, businesses today. And within that 30 million, roughly 23 to 24 million are solo entrepreneurs. They might Mm -hmm. bring in contractors or work with other firms if they have a bigger project or initiative where they need help. But from an employee perspective, they don't have any formal employees besides themselves. So the remaining six or so million firms the vast majority of those firms have fewer than five employees. So GoDaddy's uh, customer base very much mirrors that distribution of uh, size of, of firm.
0: So you have many millions of solo entrepreneurs. Correct. And you are interfacing with these people, or are you interfacing with somebody that they're, they've hired to work on their domain name, website, and so forth, or are they doing it all themselves?
1: Almost all these folks are doing it themselves. So we we talk to over a million customers a month in our customer mm-hmm. care team, and it's almost always the business owner oh, no. calling Very on behalf of the business. So they're Very they're doing it all right. The the outcomes that these business owners want are growth and more customers and revenue right. to sustain the business. Yet they don't have staff to delegate all of the work that has to get done. So one of the things that we see time and time again is just that a number of hours in the day aren't enough for these individuals to get all the work done. So things that are proactive to help the business be more effective sometimes get pushed to the very bottom of the list. They'd hoped to get things done like build a next version of their website or uh, make another post on a social media platform, but, something urgent gets in the way from an existing customer. And so we we see these business owners really struggling to manage their time between proactive activities to make the business successful, more efficient, more streamlined, even with only one employee, and the reactive, hey, I've got a client, I've got a project, I've got a product I need to deliver now. So that tension is is there in in all the discussions Mm -hmm. that we have.
0: Yeah and then the notion of this you know virtual company is very um active right now we ourselves have set the company up as a virtual company our uh, you know people who work on our team are all over the world and most of them work from home and then we have some very small offices um in you know India and and so forth but we we are getting a lot of scale using virtual companies sometimes, you know, contract workers and, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And that trend is very, very active right now. So even if they are solo entrepreneurs there are you know, they're getting scale out of virtual assistants in the Philippines and so on and so forth.
1: Yes, or hire a designer to help on a project or contract exactly. manufacturing or ninety nine designs a lawyer and upwork and all that right. yeah right right so exactly. so those are those are the realities of these individuals and so when I think about our our innovation activity, we have that customer in mind so when when we think about yep. you know, what do we need to do with our existing products to make them deliver more value to customers, we talk uh, quite a bit about. Uh, time to value, and value achieved. So when mm-hmm. someone buys a product from us, I want to see them use it, and I want to see them mm-hmm. use it in a way that delivers the expectations the customer had and hopefully blows away those expectations as they're uh, getting their company either up and running or growing their company or making sure their brand is representing them, them in a way that they're proud of. Mm-hmm. And so we we look at existing Products And we think, how do we innovate on the existing product line? And then we look at new areas where we, we are either solving a partial need for that customer or maybe aren't even uh, delivering at all against uh, a particular need. So I'll tell you a, a, maybe a story as a representative yeah. uh, example of how we do this. So we for most of the history of GoDaddy had thought about the identity of a small business owner as revolving around their domain on the web. Yep. And that made sense. There are lots of folks uh, who have to get online and, and still about half the world's population has yet to to get to the web. So lots of growth available. When we started talking with small business owners over the last couple of years, we found another trend that we were surprised by which was as much as we see electronic communications, whether it's people in social media or email or going to your website, we saw a growing amount of communication on people's mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And some of it was voice, some of it was texting and messaging, but it all revolved around a phone number. Mm -hmm. And we started to realize that our view of identity and digital identity needed to be expanded, not Mm -hmm. just around the the domain, but needed to be thinking about the phone number as a part of identity. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we uh, took one person and had them begin to talk to customers, look at the existing products in the market, look at ways that small businesses used uh, their mobile devices as part of their daily life, and saw a real opportunity because we saw these business owners using a singular phone number, generally their personal cell number, and putting it onto their website, putting it onto their right. business cards, and therefore they were getting personal calls and business calls all intermingled, and they were losing control and losing data from right. from their interactions. So we totally
0: then went a lot one. of spam.
1: Yes, well, that too. Like, gosh, now, now my phone number is everywhere, and I'm getting all these calls from people <laughs> wanting to sell me timeshares and loans and uh, all sorts of other things that were wasting my valuable time as a business owner. So, so the innovation effort then went from one person trying to define the, the customers' need to three people trying to say how might we solve that need to a build by partner. Evaluation to eventually an acquisition of a company who could bring in some of the technology we needed, and and then uh, a year later we launched a product called SmartLine, and mm-hmm. we continued to innovate on that. So there's a, a real opportunity to use the customer feedback and yes. understanding trends to create what what we call customer-driven innovation. There are a couple of other types, but but we can talk about this one if you want uh, in a little more depth. Yeah,
0: let's talk. Let's double click down on, on – let's start there with the customer-driven innovation. like how – what is the structure and process of collecting customer-driven innovation in your case? If you're having a million customer conversations a month – how do you uh, you know how do you streamline that what inputs you're getting how do you collect, and how do you synthesize what to focus on?
1: yeah so uh, that really comes down to the job of the product management organization so the the focal points for this customer feedback because you're right, we hear it from our customer care team, we get it through online help articles we get it through feedback and reviews in app stores and uh, you, know, you name it, uh, we are getting feedback in you know huge, huge volumes, and we've divided up our world into product teams. Those product teams think about not just the products we have in the market today, but the job that that customer is trying to do with the product. So we're we're trying to think through, as an example, instead of calling uh, the team in. Uh, the problem I was just talking about with this phone number. We didn't call them the phone number team. We didn't call them the product name team. We called them the voice and messaging team because we Mm -hmm. wanted them to think broadly about how might those customer needs be solved, not just with what we've put in the market today, but perhaps Mm -hmm. other products and services as well. So those product managers bring the data into uh, generally a weekly discussion and they separate the feedback into what in our current product needs to be improved, so what Mm -hmm. bugs or user experience issues are in the way that makes it more challenging to use the product, versus ideas to expand the product's capability, or perhaps uh, a nearby or adjacent need, but one we don't solve at all. And Mm -hmm. so the team will take those three and The usual sprint cycles, we're an agile development company, so sprints are usually two weeks. Uh, The bugs and so on will get pushed into an upcoming sprint depending upon the urgency and and impact. The expansion of the capabilities within the current product, that also can flow through the traditional uh, sprint planning cycle. When there's a need that's outside of what that team is currently delivering, uh, we have a discussion once a month amongst the product leaders and we bubble those up and we have a running list of uh, ideas that are customer framed uh, mm-hmm. and have no resources against them. So we'll we'll be tracking that list and we'll have a discussion. Does it go on the list or not? You know, what have you all heard around this customer need? And we'll put it into essentially a, an idea to be explored later. We and then, what
0: is the oh, yeah. life cycle of that idea? So an idea, in, in this in case that you're describing, the customer-driven innovation, the product managers are tasked with collecting those ideas. So once a, once a product manager collects an idea, um, what is the process that you apply to assess the business case against that idea? You know, how they give the opportunity. Yeah. So, so um,
1: the first thing we do is just capture it. We don't worry about... Sizing it about building spreadsheets. Just let's capture the idea. Use yep. a little bit of judgment on. Okay, you guys talk to lots of customers. Have you heard this before? Uh, do you Do you think that this is a problem that applies to lots of people? A few people. Just how a frequent is the
0: client point coming right,
1: up? Right. So we'll, we'll use that, and then that's the very simple screen does it even show up on the list. If it shows up on the list, uh, because. I believe very strongly in the power of decentralized teams. Uh, what The way it moves off of the list of interesting idea to we're gonna explore it is one of the product leaders, so we've got six different business units, one of the product leaders inside of one of those business units says, well, I believe strongly enough to put someone's time against the next phase of exploration. So it moves from an idea in the future to something to refine now. Mm -hmm. And we go from not staffed to there is now a product manager who has picked that idea up. And at that stage, we do just what you were starting to suggest, which is interview customers, understand the landscape of uh, this need amongst both competitive offerings and other things that the small business might already be using that aren't competitive, but maybe alternatives or substitutes. Yep, a manual yep. method is, is usually the, what we see most frequently for, for most small business owners where they're not buying a piece of software or a service to solve the problem. They're yep. doing it on their own with uh, some hodgepodge of tools.
0: Okay, got it. Uh, and Let's then from uh, there
1: we have a multi-step process to vet it
0: to prioritize which ones you want to implement on or acquire something against. So, um, of course, you know, this, this workflow that you described are ideas that are coming from customers and, and have been picked up and identified by the product or organization. Do you have any kind of an internal innovation or entrepreneurship program that nurtures grassroots entrepreneurship within the organization?
1: We, we don't have a separate team. We have a framework that we've taught everybody around horizon thinking. And so mm-hmm. uh, what we have put in place is, uh, and this is a concept that I think McKinsey had originally come up with, that you have existing businesses that are paying the bills. They're called horizon one businesses. You have your growth businesses, things that are growing faster than the overall portfolio, At a company like GoDaddy, we've got many, many products, some of which are growing quite fast, and those get additional resources. And then we have these experiments or seeds for the future, the Horizon Mm -hmm. 3 businesses. And so we are conscious about the resourcing across those three horizons. Individuals at each horizon are expected to innovate, so we don't make it someone's day job to be the innovation person or the intrapreneur. Uh, But we expect that when we have a Horizon 3 idea, so going back to what we were talking about a a minute ago, when something goes from a concept to we now have staffed a person on it, we then have a set of people internally who have been identified as advisors and coaches for this Horizon 3 team. We'll meet Mm -hmm. once a month, and we'll continue to look at, in the last month, what did you learn about the – uh, customer need about the solution or the prototype you've been working on. And the team will be available for uh, help and consultation in between those monthly sessions. The session is just one hour. And the goal at the end of each session is to decide, do we continue to explore the idea or do we learn enough to think that, you know what, this is not uh, as big an opportunity as we thought.
0: So, um- I guess what I'm trying to understand a bit is, um, you know, how does the broader workforce, you know, the grassroots um, workforce get to play in this innovation um, framework? And let me, um, let me elaborate a little bit on why I'm going there. Uh, we are actually working with some um, corporate partners where uh, they want the whole organization to at least have a, an opportunity to participate in innovation. And part of it is driven by the fact that today there is, you know, the the words innovation and entrepreneurship are so catchy and so, you know, pervasive in in the corporate societies, as you would perhaps call them, um, that part of the Jobs attractiveness is, is dependent on how much people are participating in these kinds of innovation, incubation, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship types of programs. And what I'm hearing in, in a lot of cases is um, they want to give opportunities to everybody to apply themselves if they want to grow as in that direction to participate in the innovation process. And then that requires, of course, if everybody is submitting ideas and so forth, then you need a process and a framework to collect those ideas, vet those ideas, you know, figure out how what happens to people who come up those, with those ideas, um, you know, which ones then get uh, developed further or get further resources to, to go further, et cetera. That's, is there something like that going on within your organization, or is it more... Uh, like, you know, these groups get to submit ideas and, and come up with ideas, and, and it's more structured as in uh, dedicated organizations are doing that.
1: Yeah, so we have no dedicated organization to do entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. I think that uh, inside of companies, everyone's day job is to figure out how do I apply uh, innovative thinking to make either their current product better or think about a way to create something new. And so going back to the the ideas that come through, anyone can propose an idea, anyone can raise their hand and say, hey, I want to go work on uh, one of these Horizon 3 ideas. Generally, what we find is that uh, there are lots of folks who are excited about what they're doing day in, day out. And mm-hmm. the concept of you know, it's someone else's day job to innovate, I think, is a counter to uh, at least the the values that we're trying to drive. I
0: fully agree with that. I'm, yeah. I'm Actually, I, I am oh, very good. much of the opinion that good, good. dedicated innovation teams is not where all the the, the domain knowledge and the customer right, knowledge rest. Right. The customer knowledge and the domain knowledge are pervasive inside the organization, so you kind of have to have processes to be able to extract those ideas and bring them through mm-hmm. a process such that you can evaluate them whether they deserve further attention or not.
1: Perfect. Yeah. So that, so the same, so let's say uh, one of our engineers has an idea Uh, we have hackathons where the engineers can come and pitch and then build prototypes on almost a monthly basis. And then we have some larger virtual hackathons that are company wide and a couple of in-person hackathons. We see very interesting ideas coming out of those Many times those ideas are extensions of what we do today, so those are mm-hmm. uh, pushed back into one of the product teams to to vet and put on the roadmap. And many of those things have actually gotten into the hands of customers. Uh, if it's a brand new, so there's
0: a, actually an interesting question that comes yeah. up in that context. Um, about a couple of years ago, Xerox Park um, did a, um, a you know several days of. Um, brainstorming with, I think, about 40 Fortune 500 chief innovation officers. And this point of hackathons versus, you know, uh, business cases of innovative ideas was, came up. I did a half-day session with this group, and it was one of the questions that came up, is that should you be developing stuff first, or should you first be Figuring out the business case for an idea, and, um, and and of course there are multiple schools of thoughts on on that. I happen to be of the opinion that you shouldn't be developing stuff. You actually should first figure out whether there's a business case or not, and then decide. Then you know, develop prototypes or idea, whatever. So I've, I'm curious what your thought is there.
1: Yeah, I'm. So I'm probably somewhere in between. I think that the uh, business cases are often wrong. And so rather than spend lots and lots of time on a business case, because we just don't know. I mean, I think part of my uh, perspective on this is it's very rare that you can predict precisely how the path of an idea will follow. So it's better to have a customer perspective on this, which is here's the problem we think we're solving Let's go put something in front of the customer and see if they care. And if they do care, okay, then let's start to put more energy into, well, how many customers have this need and how might we turn this into a business? So there's an iterative process where we start with, hmm, well, that's interesting. Let's go show it to a customer and see if they think it's interesting. If so, then let's do more work and, as you suggest, build a, a more substantial business case at that stage.
0: So you believe that you need to show something, develop a prototype to a customer to get customer feedback?
1: I think it's very hard for customers to react to a concept test in any realistic way. Yes. Really? That you need to yeah. That you need to bring to if you're developing something new that a customer hasn't seen before and you describe it to them, uh, the reactions you're going to get are all over the map. Sometimes they'll be very excited, sometimes they won't be. Uh, I have been very fortunate to have been uh, leading strategy and innovation groups for a long time in a couple different contexts, and I can tell you that the data that comes out of the concept testing, you can get relative feedback, but actually whether or not an idea is going to be successful, if it's a pretty new idea, uh, you can't tell from traditional concept testing. It, It just doesn't work.
0: So I will, um, you know, very decisively disagree with you on this point. And we have case study after case study of entrepreneurs who have done it the other way, where they have gone and talked to, um, talked about their idea with customers and then started developing I mean, One of the best case studies I've done on this topic. And then I, particularly because the topic is controversial, I actually chose mm-hmm. to explore this in developing our curriculum. Um, there's a company I'm sure you've... Um, seen right now um, that started a while ago it must have started in about 1999 or something like that they did customer support on the cloud software on the cloud and then eventually sold to oracle they went public and then later on after they were public for a while they were purchased by oracle for about 1.3 billion i think so greg gianforte who founded right now um had the idea he kind of figured out that you know all these companies are putting their uh, exactly what you were talking about they're putting their phone numbers on the on the website or email addresses on the website, and then lots of customers start calling and start um, sending them emails and then what they don't have the organization to support that and they don't have the software with which to harness that all that interest and questions and so forth and they needed software to be able to process all those so so he started calling a bunch of companies that have their websites on uh, on their uh, – have their, uh, you know, email addresses and so forth on their websites. And, you know, he talked to a whole bunch of – he talked to, I think, 150 customers understood what the back end, what was going on in the back end, and then went and developed the software. And almost every single one of the 150 became their customers. They went bootstrapped from zero to $6 million in revenue before they raised a penny of funding.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So that's, uh, interestingly, uh, I think we, through that story, we just agreed, which is he didn't create a business case and then go out and try to sell that business case. He actually spent a ton of time with customers, and I would imagine as he's describing it, he may have sketched something to that customer. Uh, I think what I uh, say is is a very difficult way to innovate is sit down, write a standard business case, and then attempt to write a uh, prompt and show a description of a paragraph of a value prop to a customer and, and get a reasonable reaction. I think it's awesome to so have that discussion. That's, that's yeah. uh,
0: semantics. I think the the point that I think I, I it's probably we are both agreeing on is that customer immersion is the way you come up with good business mm-hmm. ideas. There's totally no question. Agree. That's and, and you validate those business ideas through customer immersion. That's that's pretty much hundred percent the policy we follow in our works. But I think the the point that's um the reason it created so much discussion at the session that I was just discussing is that um, I, I think that it's, you can have those conversations without writing a line of code.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, in today's world it's so easy to create a prototype uh, that you don't actually need to write code. You can create a PowerPoint slide, a website that's got the yeah, components. Yeah, absolutely,
0: all but those are mock-ups. Yeah. That's not a prototype yeah. really. That's a mock-up. So, okay, got go oh, So that was fun, all
1: right.
0: Yeah, that was great, that was awesome. So, um, switching a bit, um, of course, there's a tremendous amount of external innovation that you have to probably keep your eye on because of yeah. the, 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 just the pace of startups has picked up tremendously, right? Um, I think the number of companies that got started, well, they're not got started, that got um, seed funded in 2013 was about 70,000. And since then, now there are somewhere around 700 seed funds, and these vary, they're like, some are pre-seed, some seed, some post-seed, uh, pre-series A, small series A, I mean, it's a whole spectrum. Right, right. But there are 700 I mean, of these micro out there. Yeah, all these other
1: ways It's to amazing. It yeah.
0: So, um, so the number today of companies a number of companies getting seed funding is about 100000 a year. But the number of VCs that actually get venture financing is still only about 1200 to $1,500. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I imagine that for a company of the scale of GoDaddy, there's a lot of opportunity to interface with the um, with the startup community out there that are innovating in related adjacent areas to you where you have to keep an eye out for what do you want to acquire, what do you want to maybe invest in or whatever, what, in whatever way you want to invest with that external innovation community and ecosystem. How do you do that? What, do you, uh, what are your thoughts and philosophies around that?
1: Yeah, great. I mean, that, that is a huge source of, ideas and and really uh for us a, a way for other people to be trying things out and seeing you know what works and what doesn't work and we'd love to learn from them so we uh do a few things we've got a set of folks who are in our corporate and business development team who are constantly talking with both startup entrepreneurs startup funders and uh, we make that a part of our day, so we have conversations with those folks that we've built relationships with over time. Some some of the businesses we track for years and stay in touch with them, uh, same with, with the venture firms. And for folks further down the, the path in terms of scale, we might talk to folks in private equity as well. Then on the product side, uh, the product management team thinks through, in their area of expertise, Who would be both the competitive set we want to keep an eye on and the potential funding announcements that come out around products and services that are in areas that are of interest to us? And we'll pick up the phone or send an email and talk to various businesses. And then we try to make it actually pretty easy to find us. So if someone thinks they have an idea that's relevant to GoDaddy, I don't want them to have to you know, jump through 17 hoops to share the idea. We want to make sure they can get to us so our email addresses are out there and we also go to conferences and meetups. So we, we try to be open. The volume of what's happening in the world is so great, I'm sure we're going to miss something, uh, mm-hmm. but we attempt to be available and, and accessible so ideas can get to us and we can have a, a discussion and, and learn what they're learning, being out there in the marketplace yeah. and trying new things.
0: You know, what's, uh, my observation also on this topic is that, uh, in a way, for a company who is on the acquiring end of the uh, you know, transaction, not the company that is selling, but the, but the company that is buying, it's often actually the most advantageous to be able to identify the companies that have not raised any money that are bootstrapping to product market fit. And if you can catch those guys, and if they're willing to sell, and if you can buy those, you get the best terms, you know, because there are no investors involved, and the founders make all the decisions, and if you give them a good deal, you can do a sub-$50 million acquisition that could be a very, very powerful acquisition, and you get great talent and so forth, without having to pay the premium. It so happens that right now, there are a lot of entrepreneurs, because it has become cheaper to do things, there are a lot of companies that are going very far in a bootstrap mode, getting to, you know, clear product market fit and, and, you know, pretty good, even indications of traction and so forth. So, um, and that's, I think, what I find when I have these discussions with um, companies in your shoes, it's it's not so easy to keep track of who they are and where they are.
1: It, it It's definitely, a, it could be someone's full-time job. Uh, in <laughs> sense, that's what venture capitalists are trying to do, is always looking for that next hot company that's going to uncover a, an important customer need and solve it better than anyone else. I think uh, it's fantastic when we find a company that's really customer-centric, uh, has developed a solution that's delightful and and inspires customers to not only use the product to solve the core need, but they tell other people about it and then they can build a business on that. So we've been fortunate. We've acquired a few companies over the years uh, that have inspired that customer love and we bring them into GoDaddy and and help both get them to scale because one of the challenges of serving this audience of small business owners is it's really a challenge, even if you build a great service, to go acquire small businesses. It's very hard,
0: It's very, very hard.
1: We've been, we were successful enough at GoDaddy that we can say, well look, we've got 17 million of these folks. I bet some of them would want to buy your service. Let's go try it out. Right, so so do you
0: you do OEM deals or some sort of channel partnerships, revenue sharing partnerships as well?
1: We do, so we've built a, a program that's very simple where we actually have, uh, essentially an, an ad marketplace where we run different offers through uh, placements inside of our products, and we see what our customers are interested in. and allows us to very quickly get a read on different categories and different offers uh, without having to go build a product ourselves or without having to do a really large commercial deal. We can quickly get a sense for demand.
0: Very cool well this is a wonderful conversation very uh, very detailed, very uh, nuanced and I love these kinds of conversations I'm, I hope you're enjoying the conversation audience um, we will bring you more Stephen thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts on the topic and audience thank you for listening uh, please come to the website 1m by1m.com and uh, especially if you're, if you need Uh, strategic planning and strategic nuances discussed in, in one of our free mentoring roundtables. We'll see you at one of those. Go to the website and register to pitch or attend and we'll be happy to work with you on your business. And we'll be back with more of these sessions. Thank you for listening.